0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. This is, uh, Jimmy was sharing. My name is Ryan, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I, I was here back in September, and I guess it wasn't all bad. So they invited me back, and thankful to be here uh, with you uh, this morning again. This um, Consultant from Boston was working with some college graduates, and he was he was working with them and talking with them, and he, he came before them. and he said, "Hey, so uh, surveys with employers are overwhelmingly using uh, one word to describe college graduates. What is that word? Let me give you a hint. It starts with the letter E." And so these college graduates in this room, they're they're uh, they're jumping right in. They're saying, "Oh, oh energetic and and exemplary and entrepreneurial and excellent." And they're all into it. And they're like, "No, no, no, no. We got we got a really good one here. Uh, uh, exceptional." Right. So they're like really into it. And he's like, "No, that's not the word." Finally, get to the end. He says, "Here's the word." Once they ran out of all these e words, anybody guess? Entitled. And it got real quiet, you know, kind of like what just happened right now. They got real quiet, quiet. Entitled was the word. And, and the idea is he was working with these college graduates is that younger generations, more and more employers and others are looking at this generation. And if we're honest, I think we could probably point to every generation and noticing an entitlement Mindset that was going on and is going on in people's hearts and lives. In fact, if you had your bulletin and your notes for filling in the blank, here's your very first one right there at the top. It goes like this: Entitlement is the mindset that says. I want to give you two different descriptors here. Two different descriptors. Entitlement is the mindset that says, and here's the first one: I want it now. I want it now. Let's all work on that. Everybody say that with me: I want it now. I want it when. Oh, I want it now. Good job. Okay. I want it now. See, we are conditioned, aren't we, to, to want what we want when we want it. That's how we're trained. That's how we're conditioned. That's what we're so used to. And I tell you, I see this show up in one area in particular, and that's with finances. Finances. I mean, there was a time, and this is crazy, I know, but, but follow me with this. There was a time in our, in our nation's history when if somebody wanted something, you know, see something that you want, they would, they would work hard save their money, and then go and buy it. I know, it's kind of weird, huh? To so see, now we have, what, credit cards, financing. They've rescued us from all of that. So if you break down into cold sweats, like, what do you mean? Like, waiting to have to buy something. That's, you know, I know, we've been saved from that, and yet, and yet that's, that's, it's a dangerous, dangerous pattern that we have so much. In fact, most of consumer debt is due to an con- entitlement mindset that, that we have, that we want what we want when we want it. That's number one. Number two, the entitlement mindset is the mindset that says, I deserve more. I deserve more. Ever felt that? We know this feeling. It's it's, I deserve a better job. I deserve a better cell phone. I deserve a better car, a newer car, a longer vacation. I mean, whatever the case is. And then we rationalize it while we say this, because I'm worth it, right? Because I'm worth it, right? It's this idea of we and I deserve more. Now, here's a big idea for this morning. The big idea for this morning is this, that you show me an entitled person and I'll show you an ungrateful person. You show me an entitled person, I'll show you an ungrateful person. Here's your next fill in the blanks, uh, fill in the blank. It goes like this. The problem of entitlement is fixed by the habit of gratitude. The problem of entitlement is fixed by the habit of gratitude. And that's what we're going to look at here this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 17. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Uh, we'll also have the verses on slides behind, but but also if you have a smartphone or tablet, you can go to uversion.com, which is a great resource. Maybe you already use it here and just put in Luke chapter 17. You can follow along there as well. We're going to be starting in verse 11 of chapter 17, a familiar passage probably to many of you. And here's, here's how it goes. It says this, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus he traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, "Jesus, Master, have pity on us let 's pause here real quick. A, a, a leper, at least in the scriptures, really refers to anybody who had any kind of skin condition, any kind of skin disease, and oftentimes it was accompanied with with like oozing sores and, and numbed nerve endings. You know, the kind of idea where you might fall asleep at night and then wake up in the morning and realize you know a rat had been chewing on your fingers or something, but you you couldn't feel it, you didn't know what was going on. It's that kind of a of a skin disease issue that is going on there with them? And the physical pain would have been bad, but there's so much more. To to the life of a leper, in fact, in Leviticus, the book of Le- Leviticus in the Old Testament chapter uh, thirteen, we read there that any time any person would come near a leper, that leper was required to move away and cry out and yell to draw attention to, and would say unclean, unclean, over and over again to warn those who were healthy to stay away. In fact, we we know from Jewish history that that, that that physical gap was about at least 50 yards or more. So visualize half a football field. That's how far they'd have to stay away and just shout out, unclean, unclean. And so these people who were enduring this situation had not only the physical issues going on, but there's also the emotional side of it. Any sense of a normal lifestyle, any sense of having a job, of being a part of the community, it wasn't there they were isolated they were set apart they were looked down upon and any time anybody could near them they would again have to cry out unclean unclean and so we have these 10 guys these 10 guys that are that are in this place and one uh, uh, person that they hear Jesus showing up and they hear that maybe this is the one who could, who could heal us. Maybe this is the one who would have compassion or pity on us. And so they begin to call out to him, have pity on us. Master, they are asking for healing. They're asking for the answer to their wildest dreams, to their prayers, to Jesus. And interesting, something interesting happens here when Jesus responds. Look with me at verse 14 and what he says to these men. He says this Go show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. It wasn't that he healed them right there, rather, he says to them Go show yourself to the priest. Now, here's what's interesting is a leper was not permitted to be uh, in or at the temple. That was not allowed. They were not allowed to go there. But if there was a healing, if there was a miracle of some kind, then a person who was healed of any kind of healing would then go to the priest and would, would show themselves to the priest to certify that they had been healed. Jesus sends them on their way, but they're still lepers to a place they're not allowed to go to do something they weren't supposed to do. A miracle had not happened yet. See, Jesus puts them in a position of of deciding, will they trust him? Because they had to wrestle with the question, can Jesus do it and would Jesus do it? Well, for whatever reason, they went. They left. And as they obeyed, then Jesus did the work. As they trusted him and as they obeyed him, then the healing happened. And I can just imagine, at least for, for me, as I read this, they're walking along, and all of a sudden, one of them's like, hey, what's going on? And he sees the change, the physical change in his body, and then another of the ten's like, hey, well, me too, me too, and, and it just begins to spread one by one around this group of 10, and they're stopped in the streets, and they're, they're, they're yelling and dancing and crying and shouting. I mean, they're just carrying on because, again, something that is the, the, the answer to their prayers and their biggest dream has been has been has been fulfilled and there they are in the streets celebrating like they never have before let's look now at verse 15 then it says this one of them when he saw he was healed came back praising god in a loud voice the picture we have is immediately turning back going back to jesus and he threw himself at jesus's feet and he thanked him and he was a samaritan and jesus asked we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And of course, this would have been convicting to the Jewish people, as a Samaritan is the one who returns. He's the one of the ten that returned. Here you have ten healed, and one shows gratitude. Ten men whose life was changed, and yet one comes back. But you know how it is. Sometimes when people get what they want, they don't return, do they? That's the picture we have here. In this case, it would have seemed they were all so excited about the healing they forgot about the healer. But whatever happened, we have the one. And my question to, to you this morning and to me all week has been been looking at the scripture is the question, the title of the sermon Are You Gonna Be the One? Who are you more like in this in this scenario? Are you more like the nine? Are you more like the one? Will you be the one? And that's your next fill in the blank. Will you be the one? See, I don't know. I don't know that we should sit here this morning and look down our noses at the nine because I tend to think that we tend to think we're better at gratitude than we really are. I think this is an area that we can all grow in. I know it's true in my life. That we would grow in this area of gratitude, of, of thankfulness, of communicating this to God and to others how much we appreciate. So this morning, I want to give us a brief quiz. It's on your bulletin there, so you can take the quiz. There's some little boxes next to three questions I'm going to ask, and and you can check the box that this applies to you. And and all I ask is that you be honest with God and to yourself, that we can look into our own hearts and and evaluate quickly where we're at in this area. So here's here's question number one for us as we think about this area of, of gratitude. Number one, do I have any material or financial ungratefulness? Do I have any material or financial ungratefulness? So the question here is, is, is am I thankful for, for what I have? Now, look, it may not be the, the latest, the greatest, the newest, the best, the biggest. I mean, all of those kind of things. That may not be the case. But regardless, am I thankful for what I have? Or is the posture of my life generally dissatisfied? Where, where the, the, the posture of my life is, it's just never quite enough. Or I'm always looking for that newest thing, that better thing, that something else, that new gadget, whatever it is. And, it, and what I have is never quite enough. Let me show you how this shows up in my life all the time. It shows up every time I walk into my closet because, you know, there's clothes all over the place in my closet. And I'll stand there and I'll be like, I have nothing to wear. Right. Does anybody else do that? It's just me. Okay, so you walk in. Now, I'm the one that, generally speaking, picked out these clothes, but I still walk in, and I'm like, I'm just dissatisfied. Like, there's nothing here to wear. And so that's one example, one area where this may show up. Are you thankful for what you have, whether stuff, whether money? Are you thankful for what you have? Or do you wish for more? Number two, do I have relational ungratefulness? Relational ungratefulness. So th- th- this looks like uh, maybe saying like, oh, I'm so, I'm so tired of my parents being in my business. Or, or uh, I mean, the famous one, the easy one, right? If you're married where you say, oh, I wish my husband fill in the blank. I wish my wife, fill in the blank, right? I mean, we have those things where we're like, they're, they're good, but boy, they could do better. I mean, that kind of a thing. Um, I love my spouse, but, you know, boy, if this, you know, that would be so much, so much better. Maybe you're, you're here this morning, you're frustrated about being single, and you just, you just wish that was different, and, and that longing is fine, but if there's just that general discontent in life that it just takes over everything about your perspective, then that's not healthy. Or maybe, maybe it's with friendships, like, I wish my friends were more this or more that. You get the idea. Relational ungratefulness. How are you doing in that area? How would you score yourself? Check the box there if you feel like that um, that's something that you struggle with. And then number three, do I have circumstantial ungratefulness? Circumstantial ungratefulness. And this one is easy too. I don't like my job. I don't like my house. I don't like my hair or lack of hair. I mean, whatever it is. Is there something there circumstantially that you are in a continual posture of discontent, wishing for more, longing for more, and never okay with what is? How are you doing in these areas? And again, I think this is something that all of us can reflect on and all of us can address In our lives. And so, regardless of how you scored, what I want to do this morning for the rest of our time is I want to give a very simple two point battle plan for us all that we can apply right now, today, and this week uh, to help us grow in the area of gratitude. Now, I'm going to give you these two points, and you're going to be like, that's it? Like, that's the best you have? I know it 's not about the complexity of these of these action steps it 's about doing it it 's about applying it that 's where the real power is if you will that 's where I want to encourage you to take steps is applying these simple things so here is number one, filling in your blank here here 's number one of our two point battle plan to help us grow in gratitude is that we would choose to turn your blessings into praise. Choose to turn your blessings into praise. The idea here is is that you and I, we would make the decision each day, make the decision each day to tell God thank you for all the ways that he takes care of you, all the blessings, all the provision, all the kindness, all all the things that he does in your life. My encouragement is that you and I would build a habit of noticing God's fingerprints in your life and around your life. And then tell him, talk to him, express that appreciation back to him. And here's why this is important. Here's why this is important. Because every blessing that you and I don't turn back into praise eventually turns into pride. That's how it works every time. The blessings that God gives in your life that you don't turn back into praise eventually, eventually turns into pride. And it looks like things like, I did this. And I deserve, and I deserve more, and what I have isn't good enough. We've been talking about this already. It's that general discontent and being ungrateful. It will turn into pride. Let's look at what Paul said about this. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 11. Here's what he wrote. He said this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whatever he was going through, good times, bad times, good health, bad health, you get the idea. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Let's stop here real quick. Notice something here, and if you have your Bibles, would you do this? Would you underline, because twice Paul says the word "learn." That I I learned this. I learned something important. He says, I learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And he says, later, I have learned the secret of being content. Twice he says this, that he learned something, which which highlights that what Paul's going to talk about here is not natural to him. This was something he had to learn, and this is true for us, that we have to learn this as well. So the question is, of course, well, what did he learn? What did he learn? Well, the answer to what he learned in terms of being content in any situation is actually found in the next verse, verse 13, which is a rather a well-known verse but often misunderstood verse. Here's the verse and how it goes. He says this, I can do everything. Now, that doesn't mean like you can be like an Avenger, like superhero. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about here is I can face every situation. That's really the best translation. I can face every situation through him who gives me strength. That with him who provides all the strength that you need, you can face any situation. Anything that you may be going through. The point is that God is enough. He's enough. You may this morning may be going through some health struggles. God is enough. God is enough to walk with you through that, to give you what you need to face it head on. Or maybe there's broken relationships, maybe especially with family. I tell you, this week with Thanksgiving is a time that all that stuff starts to bubble to the surface. All the family stuff, all the drama, the brokenness. With God, he is enough to help you both endure that as well as to bring hope for change. God can do that. God is... Enough. See, here's the thing. The secret of contentment is this, is to take your eyes off the circumstances you're going through, because that's where discontent and ungratefulness usually lives, is in the circumstances that we face. The secret of contentment, again, is to take the eye, your eyes off your circumstances and fix it onto Jesus. That's the key, to fix it onto Jesus, because in him, regardless of your circumstances, he is enough. Enough. He can satisfy you. He can satisfy you. And in him, you will always be satisfied as you look to him. And when you're satisfied in him, you can face any and every unsatisfying circumstance, knowing and having plenty of reason to thank God for anything and everything that you're going through, because he's enough, because he's with you, because you're satisfied in him. You're not looking for satisfaction in the circumstances of your life which come and go, they go up, they go down. They're good and they're bad. They're always changing. But with God, he's enough. And you can be fully satisfied in him and face any unsatisfying circumstance. That's what he's teaching there. That's the secret of being content. See, Paul was content because, again, God is enough, and he knew this, and he believed this, and he clung to this. And it's what allows us to say things like, God, I hate my house. It's too small. But then you realize I have running water and a toilet that flushes, and that's pretty good. Or you may have something else where you say, God, I hate my job. And then you recognize and remember that a lot of people are looking for work. God, thank you for how you've provided for me. Or maybe a person that says, God, I hate, my, I hate my car. I'm sick of my car. I'm actually one of the few people that have to like, roll up my window still. Some of you are like, what's he doing with his hand? That's what you have to do, right? You just roll up the window. Nobody does that anymore. But then you realize and remember, God, thank you for the car. Thank you for transportation. That puts me in the top 7% wealthiest people in the world if you own a car. Thank you. And again, it's not just because of the circumstances. It's in any circumstance. Because he is enough. can say, God, thank you for how you're working, for how you're leading, for how you're loving, that you're taking care of me. Yes, I'm praying for some different situations. Yes, I'm praying for some things to work out differently in my life. And that's good. But I'm still satisfied in you. Because you're enough. That's the key For finding contentment. That's the key for living a life of gratitude. And that's why Paul could say a few verses later in verse 19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you know this? Have you grabbed a hold of this? Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, have you grabbed a hold and said, God, where where, where I'm at today, I'm going to choose to trust you with it and to thank you in it. I'm going to choose to do that. I'm going to choose that you are enough. Because here's the thing. By nature, most of us are not gracious or grateful people. We're not content. The American dream, uh, uh, media, marketing, all of that coaches us to be discontent people. You are trained to be discontent people. And so what happens is, because that's the case, when God provides you a donut, you just see the middle, you know, the the, the hole in the middle, so to speak. And, And we pay attention to what we don't have versus what God is doing in our lives. Do you believe that God is enough? Choose to build the habit of thanking God. All the praise, all the blessings, all the things he does in your life to turn that into praise back to him. To tell him thank you, and it's a habit. It's a habit. It's building a new habit. So that's number one of the plan. And number two, as we begin to close this morning, number two is be specific. Be specific. I know they're kind of underwhelming, aren't they? But again, if you apply these, it's it's important and it's powerful. So as you are practicing generosity with people, but I'm really spiking about with with, with God here, as you are practicing generosity or gratefulness, excuse me, uh, aim to be specific. See, it's the difference between being the person who just walks by and says, um, hey, God, thanks for all you're doing. Keep up the good work to actually paying attention and being specific to him and the ways that he's working in your life, not taking it for granted. God, thanks for a good night's sleep. Thanks for a warm bed. Thanks for a warm shower. Thanks for breakfast this morning. I had food. It was good. Thanks for the car starting. That's great. The sunrise was beautiful. God, and as you're walking along, carrying on that conversation, enjoying him, talking to him and thanking him for all the ways, but doing it in specific ways. See, why this is so important is because it it pushes us to be specific. It's more penetrating in this way. It forces us to notice and pay attention to all the ways that God is at work in our lives. Not just in general ways, God, hey, yay, well done, but actually noticing all the things he's doing in and around your life. It takes more effort. This week, uh, our family, we're doing a couple things. I'm going to pass these on just as ideas uh, for you, uh, for something you can do this week. And uh, and it's been really good. It's been good for for us. And and Tyson of the band, you guys can come back up if, if you're in here. Here's the first idea of what we're doing. We've been making a list. Uh, And so we have, we're six in our family. I'm one of six. Uh, My wife and I and four kids. And so we have papers all over a wall. And we pull them off every day. And we write down things that we're thankful for, specific things. We're trying to get to 1,000. And so we have everything on there from like warm socks to family to the three-year-old thanking God for mac and cheese. I mean, we just have a little bit of everything on there. But it's been so good for us to be able to list and think through specific things that God is doing, the things that he is providing for us. It is healthy for us. It has created some great conversation points for us as a family. So my encouragement, maybe this week, make a list and just start to write down some of these things and see how many you can put down. It's a good thing to do. And then number two, I want to encourage you this week to read through and pray through Psalm 103. Psalm 103. You would take some time with God, with your Bible, just you and him, opening up to Psalm 103 and read through that psalm. In fact, your memory verse is from that psalm, just as a way to remember to go there. The memory verse, Psalm 103, verse 2, which says this, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, or in other words, remember. Remember all of his benefits. This psalm is amazing. 22 verses of listing reason after reason to thank God of all the incredible things that he's doing, that he has done. And so as you read through that, my encouragement is you take time and as you read through and you read something that God has done or God is doing, that you would stop and just talk to God about it. God, thanks for how you're doing that in my life. Spend that time with him. Enjoy him. And use it as a primer to get you to that posture of saying thank you to God in some specific ways. You know, this is, this is Thanksgiving week, and I hope you all have an amazing Thanksgiving time. But, but this is not, and I never intend this to be a Thanksgiving message. Because gratitude is an every day of the year virtue. It's something that every day of the year we need to focus on. And practice and assimilate and grow in and having this attitude and perspective because it really is about building a new habit. And so we're going to start right now. So if you would just set your Bible down, pen, whatever, bulletin, whatever you've got, whatever you've been writing on, taking notes, writing your shopping list, I don't know, whatever you're doing. And just take a moment with God. I want to give you some space this morning to talk to him, to enjoy him, and to begin to tell him thank you. And listing out those things that you are so appreciative to him for. Turning the blessings from him into praise. Let's do that together.